Cornerstone. Good morning. My name is Lynn Winters. And Christmas was good. Really good. Hey guys, it's good to be with you. Merry Christmas hangover day. And I see lots of reds of eyes within parents that survived yesterday as 4 a.m., little pitter-patter of feet banging on the door, coming in, and you having to go in front of the Christmas tree like Gandalf and say, you shall not pass until at least 7 a.m., right? Hey, it's good to have you guys. Man, I'm blessed to be here today. My name is Josh Barrett. I am a sister church uh, pastor of yours. I don't know if you, you knew that or not, but I am from the Copa in Maricopa. Anybody out there familiar with Maricopa? Yes, there is a town in Arizona called Maricopa. And some of you are like, I've heard of this. The only thing I know of is there's like a Dairy Queen there. And, and that's true. Um, about four years ago, they decided to build a town around it, the Dairy Queen. Okay? So next time you're on your way to San Diego, just say hi to us, okay? Um, it is great to be here with you guys today. I am uh, blessed to uh, be able to share with you. Um, I, I had free reign to be able to share uh, a, a topic with you. And we just wrapped up a series called Un, uh, Common People, Uncommon God. And, and there was a message in there that I wanted to share, which really was interesting about today in particular. Because as we've celebrated Christmas over the course of the last you know, month in general, and it all climaxed yesterday, uh, everything leading into it, everything's been about the message of Jesus going uh, into this earth and coming in the form of a child in a crib. And what's interesting is, is I wanted to just fast forward that real quick and, and, and help you understand, if you haven't already today, that, that Jesus didn't stay in the crib. The whole idea was he entered this world through the form of a crib, but ended on a cross. And I'm going to fast forward you to the end of his life. And, and, and forget Christmas, it's over now, all right? I get a chance to speak to you today because we don't do church on the last Sunday of the year. I don't know about Cornerstone and Lynn. Lynn, I gave him a hard time in the first service about that one. So, um, But I want to talk to you about a gospel of second chance and, and share about a story in particular uh, that culminated everything that, that we celebrated in the last 24 to 48 hours. And this is the whole reason that we're, we're here today and we're, we're, we're continuing on this message. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's basically the life of Jesus through four different sets of eyes, four of his apostles, you will see that each apostle gives a very unique interpretation to the crucifixion and then the resurrection of, of, of Jesus. Mark is the one, though, that doesn't really mix too many words. He just basically says, this is how it is, this is what happened, this is how it unfolded. And Mark is, is the briefest and the most concisest of events. Is that a word, concisest? I don't really care if it is. I got the mic and I'll make up words as, as I'd like to. Um, but in Mark chapter 16, he shares with us a second chance opportunity that many, 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 many times, and if you've read this account, you probably haven't even caught it. I, I've read it over numerous times and I never grasped it uh, until I saw this jump out at me when I was studying. And, and, and this can be often missed at first glance. The, the first five verses in Mark chapter 16 
are basically record of the women's surprises as they approach the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. Then it reads words of hope and optimism, as I just said, that you might not catch right away. Here's what it says. The angel appears in and he says this, he's not here, he is risen. Now, if you, if you pause too long, you're, you're, you're going to miss it. So, so get your highlighters and your pens ready, and, and this is where it's at. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Did you guys get it? Did you catch it right there? So I got a lot of blank stares at me like, what, huh? See, it's right there. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, wait a minute. Last time I checked, Peter never got kicked out. He's one of the 12. But it includes him in this message, and it says, and Peter. Why the, the, the exclusivity about Peter? What, what about that? It says basically, in paraphrase, don't stay here. Go tell the disciples, and especially tell Peter, that he's going on before them to Galilee. See, what, what's happening in this moment, is, it's as if all of heaven had watched Peter fall just a few hours earlier, and it's as if all of heaven is right there rooting for him to get back up. Be sure, be sure. Go tell the disciples, but you guys, make sure, ladies, make sure that you tell Peter that he's not left out. You tell him that his one failure doesn't have to be a flop. Okay, I, I'm just giving you a preview of what we're going to talk about today with Peter. Now, as, as I've done in our series, which is, this is just one snapshot, I'd like to ask you a question today. Most of our lives in this room are filled with just common, ordinary lives. And that's not, that's, I'm not, I'm not slamming anybody, that's me too. What I'm asking is, is you would hear this message today, that you might place your mindset into, okay, embrace who God made me and all of my ordinariness, and would I be willing, would I take a chance on God today? Would I consider the opportunity in which God is inviting me to take, and would I be willing to place my common life into the hands of an uncommon God? So that's what, deep thought, that's what I want you to be thinking about throughout this message. Would I consider placing my common life into the hands of an uncommon God? Let me take you back to where Peter blew it so you understand the whole preface of what I just shared with you. In John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, it tells us the account, the story in which Peter blew it, and he blew it big. Okay? It goes out like this. It says, Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was one who advised the Jewish leaders, and he said that it would be good if just one man died for the people. And here's the first, the first blow it for Peter. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went in with Jesus, where he was being questioned, into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, who was going to try to get Peter in. And immediately, this, this young girl looks at, at, at Peter and says, you're, you're one of that man's disciples. I, I've seen you before. And Peter immediately says, no, 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 no. You, you're mistaken. You're seeing things. I have no clue of who that guy is. First time. It goes on. 
And it says, it was cold. And the servant and the officials stood around the fire and that they, they, they had made to keep them warm. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. And the high priest then begins to question Jesus. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his, his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus replied, I've spoken openly to you about the world. I've always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why question me? And then, interesting, Jesus says, check it out. Verify it with the guys that have been hanging with me. Wow. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearly slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer a high priest? He demanded, if I said something wrong, Jesus said, testify to me what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Number two is coming, verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself. So they asked him, hey, didn't, didn't I see you too with this guy named Jesus? Peter's like, No. I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. And then a relative of whom Peter just cut off the ear of Malchus looks at him and is like, no, 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 dude. You can't. I, I just saw you in the garden. Zorro. You were with him. And Peter's like, no. You know, had to bleep him out. I was not. With him. Three. And as soon as he said it the third time, a rooster crowed. You know, when you read this story, if you know anything about the Bible, you might find it really shocking and hard to believe whom it was that's denying Jesus. Just hours before, the same guy is the guy that's defending him in the garden. This guy named Peter. From, from all that we know, even despite Peter's shortcomings, Peter has been known to this point in time as a, as a sincere, dedicated follower of Jesus. A anybody, anybody else in here would like to be called that? I mean, I'm, I'm a sincere, dedicated follower of Jesus. He's just like you and me. Another thought for you today. Just, just pose a question. Does your theology, does your theology leave any room for a sincere follower of Jesus to hit bottom? Does it? See, from Scripture, we've read about some people that, 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 that we can understand this. I mean, just hours before, another disciple by the name of Judas betrays him. Ju Judas had already hardened his heart along the way. And at the core of his very being, he was a thief. And, and, and he was never really trying to serve the Lord. He was using Jesus to, to serve as, as a means to an end for him. To gain th that, 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 that notoriety, to gain money. I mean, there was never any sincerity in his heart for Jesus. There was never devotion. All he had from the beginning was pretty much a hard heart of unbelief. But Peter is different, right? I mean, he really does love the Lord. Yet what he, just, what he just did, he really is trying to do what's right. I mean, if you look in Scripture and, and see things about Jesus, who really has tried harder to follow after Jesus in his, in his footsteps? I mean, he's really trying to do wholeheartedly what's right. Which leads us to a question, how in the world can it be that a person with such 
sincere motives, faithful follower of Jesus Christ can find himself or herself at such a point of failure. Here's what you need to know, and I say this cautiously so you hear me right, and you don't maybe keep beating yourself up. Sincere, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ can can sometimes fail the Lord. For example, David. David gets nicknamed the greatest name in all of Scripture, according to, I mean, this is me saying. He was named a man after God's own heart. I'm sitting here thinking, if I die, and on my tombstone, if it were written, this is Josh, a man after God's own heart, I'm pretty cool with that epitaph. I mean, I like that on my gravestone. And this is who David was, and one of the greatest compliments in all of Scripture. However, if you know anything about David, his sin, which was horrific, led to unbelievable sins that are actually unmentionable. Let let me equate it today. What if President Obama actually had an affair with one of his top general's wives and and, and in the process fell in love with her? It's like, you know, I want her as my, everybody, everybody knows this, I want her as my own, so I am going to send my top general, her husband, to Iraq, and we're going to invade again. And he's leading the charge. Just just think of it in today's life. That is ridiculous. And yet David's sin and his unimaginable crime was committed by a man who was anointed by the Holy Spirit who ended up writing most of the Psalms. I think it's safe to say that life is a little more complicated than we'd like it to be sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes good, faithful followers of Jesus Christ act out of character. How about Abraham? Abraham goes down to Egypt after God says you're going to be the father of a great nation. He goes down to Egypt and he's trying to protect his seed and, and he lies to Pharaoh about his wife Sarah. So like, she, she, she's not mine, man. She, she's my sister. <laughs> and Abraham in scripture is not known as a, as a habitual liar. I mean, he was by large a man of great integrity and, 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 but in this situation he blew it and he blew it big. I mean, he lied to protect his seed. And, and, and later on in the New Testament, when Jesus refers back to Abraham, he says, hey, remember Abraham, the father of Israel, that big fat liar? I don't read that. What Jesus says is Abraham was a man of great faith. But he still did that. God is a God of second chances. I think it's important to note here, just so you're aware of this, in all of these cases... There were negative consequences that followed these sinful actions. And nobody gets away with anything. You can't play God for a fool. Whatsoever man sows, he will also reap. If we pulled David out here, sat him down in a chair and said, Hey, David, was Bathsheba worth it? I'll guarantee you David's sitting here saying, No, 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 a thousand times no. If I could go back and do it again, I would never, ever, ever have done that. And the Bible tells us for 40 years... The sword never left his house. He suffered the consequences of it. But we still have a name label of David, a man after God's own heart. However, the one sin that they committed that started the culmination of other denials was not accurate in definition of who he was. But it is one of the things that we remember about him. And when we think of Peter... We can remember and refer to a lot of things in Scripture about who Peter was, but the one thing that you and I always remember about Peter is he was the disciple that denied Jesus three times. 
Who would have ever thought that it would be Peter that would be that disciple? I don't think it was even Peter. In his mindset, we know that the way he answered the Lord just a few hours earlier, when Jesus was saying, this is how it's all going to go down, and he says these words, smite the shepherd, and the sheep are going to scatter. And Peter's like, no way, Jesus. I'm your homeboy. I got your back, brother. That ain't ever happening. That's how Peter responds. Peter had every... Peter had every intention to serve the Lord that day. What Peter didn't realize is that night he acted out of character. That night a sincere follower of Jesus Christ hit bottom. What is it? I got to ask this question. What in the world is it that caused this downfall? If you understand the dynamics of the events that played out, you will realize that this, this was a process that, got, that, that, Peter had to, that Peter went through to the point of actually denying his Lord. There were other things that happened. Whatever's going on in your life, you, you think you may be at the, at the bottom of it. Let me, let me share with you four warning signs today. And you may be thinking, really? I'm not, I'm not at the end? It can get worse? Yeah, it can if you're not paying attention to it. And Paul tells us in warning of of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, if you think you're standing firm, you better check where you're standing, man, because that's when you're going to fall. So so here's some warning signs for you today. And maybe you can just put yourself in the place of Peter and maybe evaluate where you're at in your circumstances and what's going on in your life, okay? Number one is this. When religion, in in your life, when religion supersedes relationship, okay, Get this, all right? There was controversy in a passage of Scripture that we see pre his denial with Jesus and this idea of a cross. In Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 26, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he was teaching them about what was coming, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Get the moment, okay? Peter goes up to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, can we have an, a little talk not, not in front of these guys? And he pulls them over. The Bible says this. It says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Okay, if you ever find yourself rebuking God, check where you're standing. And Peter rebuked him and says, this will not happen. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I got your back. And Jesus turns to Peter and changes his name. Get behind me, Satan. That's a bold name change. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, listen, guys, get this point if you get anything. If anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Right here, Jesus defines the rules of following him. And at this point in time, it's been somewhat religious for Peter. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a claim to fame kind of thing. 
And basically, what Jesus says is, if you want to be a freaked out follower of me, you got to go to the closet every single day, open it up, Ephesians it up, put the armor of God on, pick up your cross, and label across you, I'm a Jesus freak. And not be afraid to change the world around you. And at this moment in time, religion had preceded relationship with Peter. And Jesus defines the rules and he says, it's not just enough to know about me. You must own me. Jesus talks about the way of the cross, the way of suffering. A process that the world will hate you for. The Bible says all who live godly will suffer persecution. If you ain't got bad things going on around you because you know Jesus, check out how much you really know him. Jesus starts defining the rules. He must walk the way of the cross. True disciples must walk in the path. If anyone comes after me, they lose their identity. They deny themselves, they take up their cross, and they follow me. Here, here's, here's what I mean. I realized this in just a short period of time being a lead pastor. At where, at where we're at, there are a lot of people that want to jump on a successful religious bandwagon. There are a lot of people that are sitting in this room that drink coffee. It says Cornerstone on it. And you are telling people, I love Jesus. I go there. I go to CCF. You've even abbreviated it now. I don't go to Cornerstone anymore. I go to CCF, man. And somebody comes to you and they start to tell me about Jesus. What it, you've said something about him once before, way back when. What is it that's changed your life? And you're like, I go to Cornerstone. No, but seriously, I mean, there's, there's something different about you. But what, 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 what is it? You, you've never, ever really told me. I go to Cornerstone. I can tell you this. Lynn would amen this 50,000 times. Cornerstone has nothing to do with Lynn. Church of Celebration has nothing to do with Josh Barrett. This church has everything to do with Jesus. And if you've been missing that picture, then you've jumped on the religious bandwagon. There's a lot of people who would like Jesus to come into their lives, help them live an American dream. Of course, we want our sins forgiven. We'd rather go to heaven than, than we go to hell. But when Jesus starts talking about a personal cross every day, it changes the rules. Can I just tell you right now, Jesus is the biggest rule changer there ever is. Don't start playing a game with him. Unless you're ready. Hey. You want to know, you want to know what the biggest, the biggest obstacle to coming to Jesus, the biggest obstacle for somebody to become born again, to following him every day, to placing their faith in Jesus Christ, the biggest obstacle to following Jesus. Ready? Huge, huge theological, theology right here. So get ready, write this down. Biggest obstacle, Mondays. Mondays. Because based on what Jesus said, it doesn't matter where you go to church on Sunday. 
What matters is, on Monday, if you go to the closet, you open up the door, you put on the whole armor of God, you grab the big, ugly stick, and you shake the foundation around you wherever you go for the name of Jesus. Jesus' way is different than the way we thought it would be or should be. I mean, when we discover adversity after following Jesus for the first time, since placing our faith in him, here's what happens. We begin to have controversy with him. Is there anybody out there that would be willing enough and honest enough to say, I've had controversy with Jesus? It's okay. I know you're in church and say, can I really raise my hand and say that? See, God, I've had controversy with Jesus. Okay. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll lead the charge for you. I, I, I'm a pastor, and, 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 and you would think, you would think that I'm perfect, and I'm, I'm pretty close. My wife would verify that. Um, <laughs> you would think that I shouldn't have controversy with him, but I will sit here and tell you, I have controversy with Jesus, and I have it a lot. One of the things that I have controversy with Jesus is that it continues to happen a lot is, is I'm married to a, a drop-dead gorgeous hot wife that rocks my face off. Where are the oohs and ahs on that, ladies? Come on, dadgummit. Here we go. My wife suffers from a thing called um, recurring kidney stones. She has passed since she was 14 years old over... 250 kidney stones. In the last six weeks alone, leading up to Christmas, she's also our children's pastor down at COC, she has passed over six kidney stones. It does not stop. I can tell you this. I ask God often, why? I often have controversy with God about that. If I don't handle that controversy properly, then I continue my downward spiral to failure. And then, then, then it happens like this. We, we begin to pull back from the Lord a bit. We begin to feel somewhat offended by him because it's like, are you there, God? Are you listening to me? We start to kind of harden our hearts. The joy of serving him has now become somewhat of a burden to us. And then we, we often have the three-letter word, why, enter into our vocabulary, and, and, and we might even ask ourselves down deep enough in our hearts and say, that's not right, God. That's not fair. This should not be happening. This leads us to the second warning sign, when self-reliance supersedes God-reliance. When we pull back from the Lord, we have controversy, and we don't handle it the right way. We increase self-reliance, and that in turn decreases God-reliance. We know things are not completely right between us and God and ourselves, so we naturally become reluctant to continually lean on him. Peter is quite sure, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Peter is quite sure of all the disciples, he is the one that's going to be there for Jesus. He's thinking this. He, I guarantee you. And how does he respond to that? How do we know that? Because whenever Jesus says, this is what's going to go down, Peter's the one that's like, <gasps> he's the one. And what do we know about Peter? He's this. Isn't it something that sometimes our natural strengths can become points of our greatest failures? Because what did Peter do? Three times. This leads us to the next step towards failure. 
when our thoughts supersedes our prayers. See, the natural byproduct of self-reliance is prayerlessness. Take, for example, this. In the moment, Jesus takes a few of his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says this. Guys, listen. Here's, here's what's going to happen. I've told you this. I've been talking about this for, for, for a few days. And Watch and pray. And, and be careful. In this moment, don't fall into temptation. Because I know you want to do what's right. I know your spirit is willing. But let me remind you, your flesh is weak. Your flesh, I promise you, will beat your spirit. I promise you. So, so stay on guard and pray about this moment. So what do these guys do? Okay. God, Father, thou art worthy. And they fall asleep. They have just been told that their Messiah is about ready to suffer the greatest death of all deaths. And they're praying. I, ca I can't be too hard on them. Because <laughs> when controversy comes my way, whether it's with God or not, I get tired. Ask my wife. When we fight, I want to go to bed. Go to bed and sleep, that is. Listen. They don't feel like praying it still doesn't change the fact that it was the right thing to do. And I can tell you this again, just from, from a pastor's standpoint, when things are collapsing all around me, I, I'm serious. Spiritual warfare from being a pastor, and I know, man, I've given this counseling time and time again. I know what I should be doing. I don't do it. I don't want to do it. Wow. Listen, this leads us to the most scary point. Maybe, maybe you found yourself in these other three areas, okay? You haven't gotten to that point of denying him, and then it leads you to this point. When, when confusion, when confusion about our circumstances, what's going on, it supersedes our faith. Confusion is the synonym of doubt and, and the antonym of faith. And, and what, what do we know about faith? Faith is it's the cornerstone in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so when that gets attacked... Confusion comes in. Peter finds himself in a state of confusion over what happens next. When the mob arrives to the garden and arrests Jesus, the real test is happening now. Okay? He, he had neglected prayer, so we know that he's operating not by the Spirit, but by his flesh. His intentions are still good. We can't, we can't throw that, can't throw him under the bus there. He still wants to defend Jesus. They're, they're good, but instead of doing the right thing, he does the wrong thing, and with great zeal, he tries to help Jesus, and he gives it his best shot, and the results are disastrous. The mob comes together, and in a tense moment, somebody's, it's like tombstone, all, you know, at the OK Corral, right? This, they're just waiting until Doc Holliday gives a wink, you know? And it's this moment that's happening, and all of a sudden, somebody just says, shall we strike with soul? And Peter immediately, like, <laughs> hacking away at his problem. None of you have ever hacked away at your problems, have you? 
And Peter immediately, immediately is allowing himself to dictate the moves. This, this, is, this is exactly what you and I do when we're not allowing the Spirit to dictate our motives. We try and take care of the problems. Can, can, I, can I help you out? I, Lynn was here in the first service, and I, I said, Lynn, I'm going to do you a favor today. I'm a guest speaker. I can say something, and, you know, you, and, and he probably won't ever invite me back again. But I'm just going gonna, gonna to help you out. Let's, let's do this. Save you some time. Instead of calling up the counseling team here at Cornerstone, I'm going I'm to help you out. One big counseling session. Many of you are going through some problems with God right now, and there are issues that you have. You've got controversy with him. There's things going on with you and him, and, and some of you haven't. Maybe, maybe things aren't bad, but you've had them before, or, or you know they'll probably happen again. You're going to have issues. So we're going to just have one big counseling session. Okay, this is great. This came straight from a textbook that I learned in, in seminary. Okay, so I know, I know I'm, just, I'm giving you some professional advice here. When you and God have a problem, ready for this? When you and God have a problem, do you want to know what the problem is? Every time? You! That was free. I won't charge you today. You. Me. God is never the problem. Did, did you hear me? God is never the problem. Malchus. The guy that Peter sliced and diced on. Malchus sees Peter coming. He ducks and instead of losing his head, he loses his ear. But what does Jesus do next? Which is completely frustrates and blows Peter's mind. He rebukes Peter in front of everybody. Peter, what are you doing? Picks up the ear and puts it back on the head of Malchus. You got to believe that Peter in this moment, his motives, he's sincere. He's trying to do what's right, but yet he's doing it himself. Peter's now very discouraged confused. He's tried his way and nothing's worked. This happened to anybody here before? Peter's denial did not happen in a vacuum. It didn't happen overnight. You know what it was? It was a, it was a result of a very discouraged disciple who felt he had given it his best shot. And what happens next? Peter Hits bottom. You know the story? We just read it. He denies Christ three times. And in the heat of the moment, a rooster crows. And almost immediately, he remembers what Jesus was telling him just a few hours earlier. When, when, when he and, and, and Jesus were having a conversation, Jesus said, Peter, let me ask you this. Will you really, when, when the time comes, will you really Lay down your life for me. We, we, we already know it, Peter. And Jesus said in that moment, Peter, let me tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me not once, not twice, but three times. Peter's worst fear has now become a reality. Peter had done something that he never, ever, ever dreamed he would do. The process, the warning signs did not happen in a vacuum. I once heard it said about sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and cost you more 
than you want to pay. I don't know who said it. I got bets on Peter. And you know what happened? Why it happened? Imagine the inner conflict of Peter in this moment, this point. Guys, he's, he's, he's never stopped loving God. He never stopped following Jesus. It's a dark hour in his life. But the message of a second chance always means that hope is attached. The moment the rooster crowed, Jesus turns and he catches eyes with Peter. And in those moments, there was not a look of anger. There was never a look from Jesus that said, I told you so. It was a look of pure love and pure compassion. The same look he gives to you and to me when we fail him. The only difference, the only difference between many of us today and Peter is this. When Peter looked into the eyes of Jesus, he realized his wrong immediately. It was not the fear of punishment that turned Peter's heart that day. It was not the revelation that at the point of his greatest failure, it was Jesus stood there with tenderness in his eyes, with an unaltered state of love for Peter. The same way that Jesus looks at you and me today in our continual failures. Peter broke. He rushed out of that place of broken, listen, 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 and repentant man. I am a big believer in Jesus' forgiving of our sins. Big fan. But it's not just confession. That's just lip service. God says, when you confess your sins, you got my attention. And I'll forgive you of your sins. That's salvation. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's for everything else that you do. Confession always must be attached to repentance, which basically means you become aware of your sins and you make a change. You take the gospel of second chance. I, I realize as I talk about a gospel of second chance, there are so many of us in this room that need it today. Here's the problem. The problem is so many of us aren't really aware of it. We're like, that's a great story. I like that Peter one. <laughs> I like it. And you're sitting out there living a life of denial. Let, 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 me, let me attempt to, to illustrate Here's what I mean. Ready? Okay, I'm going to get on this balance beam, and I know there are a lot of people out there right now that are saying, church has definitely become worth it. I get to see a chubby guy on a balance beam. And that's cool, but could you do me a favor and just say I got to see a husky guy on a, on a balance beam? That'd be cool. That'd be better. That'd be better. Okay? Okay. Here's what's happening. We accept Jesus. We, we, we have, this is why so many of us need it and we're not aware of it. Because we have taken the second chance. So many of us in our room look like this. We've taken the gospel of second chance. And we are flying high. The king 
of the world. We are Mary Lou Retton on this thing, dude. And, and you know what's, man, when you first accept Jesus, when you first, I have never, ever, ever met a brand new believer for Jesus Christ be able to keep their mouth shut about Jesus. They would go up to Billy Graham and ask him if he knows Jesus. So life is great. It's phenomenal. I've taken my second chance, but Monday comes, and I got to go back to my cubicle, and I got to live for him. So things get a little rocky because, man, it's, it's tough. So basically, I'm like, okay, well, I, praise the Lord, I'll never lose it. He'll never leave me or forsake me, but I'm going to adjust my lifestyle and I'll take my second chance and I'll live it like this. Because I'm not going to do, I'm never going to do anything crazy for Jesus. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to adjust my life and I'm still going to follow him. But I'm going to get, I'm just not going to do anything crazy for Jesus. <laughs> never ever, man. I ain't doing it. <laughs> so, so like that. That's, okay, and I'm I'm just not gonna attempt anything nuts. I'm gonna I'm gonna move into a gated community. I'm gonna I'm gonna homeschool my kids and make them wear helmets everywhere. But you know, I still go to Cornerstone. I still I'm still a follower of Jesus. So I'm gonna do. Some, I know he talks about time, talents, and treasures, so I'm still going to follow him. I'm just not going to do it crazy, you know? So, so when I'm going to give my time. I'll give my time, and I'll go to church. I'll still go to Cornerstone, all right, every 2.3 times a month, <laughs> which is what the average attendee goes to church. And I'm going to give my talents. I'll serve in Cornerstone Children's Ministries. Fine, I'll change a diaper. But I'm, I'm going to determine the terms. I'm negotiating. I'm doing it once every month, or I'll go as far as twice a month. But I'm taking my summers off. Which is what the average attender serves. And then I get really tired of Lynn talking about money. But since it is a Bible thing, I'm going to give up my treasures, but I'm going to give it on my terms, and I'm going to give him. I'll give to Jesus so I don't ever feel guilty. I'll give him 1.7% of my income, which is what the average attendee gives. And then I'm going to touch somebody because Lynn always talks about telling people about Jesus, and I know that I'm supposed to follow him. Jesus defined following the cross, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell people about Jesus so I don't feel bad about personal evangelism, so I'm going to drink out of that, and I'm going to put one of these on the back of my car. <laughs> I'm going to tell him. I'm going to, I'll, I'll let Lynn tell him about Jesus. <laughs> so then our life, we've lived our cautious and safe life after taking our second chance, and then we come to the end of it, and we decide, you know what, this has gone pretty well, pretty well, pretty successful. I got a good grip. So I'm going to negotiate the end of it with Jesus, and I'm going to just say something like, Jesus, you know, it's been a little crazy at times following you. 
So it wouldn't be possible, Jesus, that now that I'm at the end of my life, that maybe I could just die in my sleep or something. <laughs> so we, we have a great dream, and we try to fill the bottom. And we come to our dismount of life, and oh, we come off of it, and we're followers of Jesus. And we realize, oh man, I know where I'm at. I'm in glory. And we look around, and there's our judge, and we're like, <laughs> are you, are you, are you serious? Can you guys, I'm serious, can you imagine a world-class gymnast next Olympics get up on that balance beam and just be like, <laughs> what is the judge supposed to put on the card? That's interesting. You, you, Cornerstone, you are just as gullible as my church do. You just laughed at yourselves. <laughs> Seriously. This is exactly what so many Christian lives look like. Can I, can, I, can I just, I just ask you, does, does, does this look like a life of somebody that has gone and put on the full arm of God, picked up their cross and said, I am a freaked out follower of Jesus and I will shake the foundation around me for his name. Does it look like somebody that is serving their king of kings, their savior of saviors, their lord of lords, does that look like somebody or does this look like the life of somebody that has taken a second chance and continues to live a life of denial, but they don't do it just three times. They keep doing it over and over and over again. Do you think it might just be possible that today, like it's never happened before, you just heard a rooster go off. Today is a day that you need a second chance. Offering some hope here, just to remind you, the same God that came face to face with Peter stands ready to embrace you and give you a second chance today. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. You know what Peter did with his second chance? Something that many of us haven't been doing. He took it. And he never looked back. He took the gospel of second chance all the way to Rome. And he was crucified upside down. And the message of the gospel of second chance is still around 2,010 years later. 
So the choice is yours today. Would you be willing to place your common life into the hands of an uncommon God and embrace your second chance like you've never embraced it before? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much for being a God of second chances. I am in love with you desperately. Forgive me when I'm not. I want to pray, God, for the one person out there, you know who it is, that they weren't here today by accident. They were here to hear the message of a gospel of a second chance. And I'm praying, God, that you would give them the boldness to be like Peter. And they would say, I want it. I want it. And they'll reach out and they'll grab it and they'll never look back. Would you give them the courage and the boldness to do that today? In your precious and your holy son's name, amen.